Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. I hope you're all doing well. It's another week, so it's another episode. It's another lockdown episode. Um, this one was recorded remotely um, with the wonderful Grant Nicholas of Feeder. Um, we had a lovely chat, which you're uh, about to hear. But before you do, uh, just a quick thank you to Scribbis Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. I'd like to say a big thank you to 76 for uh, producing this podcast, getting two separate audio streams that were recorded over the internet and, and making them sound great for you. And if you do like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. Um, then that way... Every week, you'll get a brand new episode just popping up on your listening device. You ain't even got to think about it. And why not have a route around in the archive? Because we've had some fantastic guests recently from LaRue to White Lies to Andy Bell of Ride and Oasis. Um, the list goes on and on and on. And we've got so many good ones coming your way soon as well. So um, just subscribe and then you won't miss any of them. Also, there's a Patreon account. Each week, I put up unique shows over on Patreon as well. So if you want to sign up over there, you're supporting the podcast and you'll get some unique content over there. And if that's not enough for you and your podcast needs, then um, why not go to www.podbiblemag.com. That's the magazine that's run by myself, Scribius Pippin, Adam Richardson, and it's the UK's only go-to guide uh, print publication for podcasts you can read all the issues online um and it also comes out in print form and is distributed nationwide inside the sunday times um so go and have a look over on pop bible mag and we've also got a pop bible podcast so each week you hear all your favorite podcasters talking about their podcast and the ones that they like listening to i've exhausted myself with this intro let's get on with it please enjoy it off the beaten track podcast with Grant Nicholas. Sorry to chip in, but I've got another announcement. We have another sponsor. Anyone Can Play Guitar podcast. If you're in a band or an upcoming singer-songwriter, or you just want a, a little look behind the scenes of how the music business works, this podcast is for you. They interview big-name guests every week, and the lads go in on topics such as how festivals are put together, the role of today's record companies, the importance of touring, marketing, songwriting, the list goes on. And wait till you hear who they've had on. The Killers, Jimmy Eat World, Editors, Frank Turner, Shed Seven, as well as loads of record company execs, festival organisers and radio DJs, and loads more. Visit acpgmusic.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. 
It's Anyone Can Play Guitar podcast. Go and check it out. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we're recording. Um, welcome to Off The Beat and Track podcast. And sitting opposite me uh, via the means of Zoom is Grant from Feeder. Hello. Hey, Stuart. How's it going? It's good, mate. Thank you. Uh, we were just saying before we press record, we've been having some back and forth for a few months trying to get this one in the can. And, and yeah. I guess we've, uh, we've, yeah. we've got to a point where people seem to have a little bit more time on their hands <laughs> yes. now, uh, for, for better or worse. Yeah. yeah. How, have you, um, how have you found lockdown? It's been pretty tough. I mean, some weeks seem to be better than others. I don't know if you've been the same. Like some days seem harder than others. I mean, I mean, I'm very fortunate. You know, I've got a nice house. And I've got, you know, you know, touch wood so far. No one's been ill in my family. Um, yeah, it's just so sort of difficult, obviously, not doing any shows. Obviously, our whole year at the moment has pretty much been put on hold. Um, I mean, it's tough, tough, say, for people in all sorts of fields of, you know, all different jobs. But I think music business has been particularly hit hard as well. Um, I do feel people, not only people like myself, obviously in bands, but, you know, venues and just just kind of, you know, the whole entertainment business has been completely, you know, just come to a grinding halt. Um, it's pretty scary, really. But, um, you know, but to answer your question, you know, I'm healthy at the moment. So, you know, touch wood, I'll get through this and we'll all get through this. But it has been a very bizarre time. I didn't expect this to ever happen in my lifetime. It's like some bizarre kind of sci-fi film, isn't it? It's it's crackers and and but I do sort of keep telling my kids like you know do do sort of take this in because you're you know as as much as me and my wife are you know we're experiencing history here it is yeah. something that like is, I say, you'd never expected to to sort of be involved in something like this it's crackers it really is yeah I was saying the same thing to my son I was saying you know some, you know you'll be telling your kids you know in years to come because it is you know. I mean, I just hope that, you know, if this sort of thing comes around again, we're a bit more kind of, you know, prepared for it, really. But, yeah. you know, um, it is a scary time, but hopefully we're over the worst. We just need to be careful now and not sort of, I know, obviously, that they've kind of eased the sort of lockdown a bit, but it's still, we still need to be really careful out there, you know? Yeah, totally. So, so I've seen that you've been... Um... I mean, I run a, a music venue and, and so yeah. I, I've been trying to sort of, you know, think what I can do creatively to try and sort of stay engaged with, you know, the people that enjoy coming to my club. So we're doing sort of radio shows and stuff like that. And I've seen that you've been doing, um, you know, online, you know, <coughs> gigs, uh, you know, or, you know, solo stuff on your own. You've been playing the stuff. Just sort of stuff kind of, you know, keeping it really low fi just doing it to my iPhone, just, just, just like bits into the studio, really. I didn't want to... You know, you never quite know how much to do because it's, you know, it's good for my headspace just to do it. And it's been quite good fun kind of going back and trying to actually play some of those songs I haven't played for over 20 years. And I've done a couple of really old ones, but I also don't want to sort of bombard people with stuff. I'm just doing it really just to help help people at home, or, you know, who are bored and maybe haven't heard those songs yet for a long time. I think that, you know, it's been quite good for me because I don't think I ever would have played some of those again or certainly, um, you know, I think... You know, I could really see those being in the next feeder set list. So, so you know, so you know, maybe it's been quite nice to sort of revisit those tracks. But yeah, to answer your question, yeah, I mean, it's been good for my headspace doing that as well. So it keeps me practicing and just sort of keeps me in the zone. It sort of gives me something to do. You know, I've been doing some writing, but not as much as normal. I don't know. My head's been in a weird space. I normally write all the time, but for some reason, because I think there's 
it's, it's almost like I don't know what's in the future. I'm not sure what's ahead. So it's very difficult to actually finish anything at the moment. I don't know if you feel yeah. the same way. Yeah, it's a, it's I mean, a time. I sort of feel like I'm in limbo, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I think when it started, I just had this kind of knee-jerk panic to, to yeah. try and just sort of create as much as I could and, and keep my brain active. And then I think as as we've sort of started to adjust to, the, you know, the, the current reality, um, I then find myself kind of just, yeah, not not really having – trying to do something new, just just I'm finding quite difficult. I'm, but I'm, I'm just kind of enjoying doing what I know, which is, which is this. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same actually. Everyone's saying, hey, I'm learning to play the piano, I'm going to learn Spanish. And, but I haven't, I don't know, I just, I haven't sort of managed to get, I might, I, I sort of started off well, I sorted out all the garden, cleared out, you know, where two garden sheds, got rid of a load of stuff, you know, which I've been putting off for years. Um, and then I've sort of come to, and then I sort of went, oh, okay, what should I do now? So I've, I have written a couple of new tracks, um, not totally finished, but I've got a few. And just before this all kicked in, um, I just finished, six kind of new feeder tracks as well so i do have a few kind of in the can but yeah. i do want to get my head back into what i do best obviously you know which is songwriting and yeah i just haven't been as focused as i um say as i normally am but i think that's understandable really yeah totally all right well talking of writing songs and yeah. uh, and, and, <laughs> and, and i guess that the you know the, the starting point is the intro so for track one grant um yeah i want you to tell me the song that you you think's got the greatest ever intro? Do you know, it's, that is a really impossible one. I was thinking, like, that's a really tough question. I could name, like, 20 now. But, um, you know, there's so many obvious ones, you know, Back in Black and, you know, Cashmere and stuff. But I've gone for one which might be less obvious, but it just takes me back to a moment. I think it was around 1980, was it 89, or around that kind of time. Um, I was at the Birmingham ADC. I went to see U2 play. And, um, you know, love you two or not, they are a great big stadium arena band, you know, and they do it really well. Um, and they're a band that have been around for a long, long time, you know, since I was, you know, my first school band and stuff like that. But I remember them coming on and they opened, it was the uh, the uh, Joshua Tree Tour. Um, and they came on to uh, where the streets no, have no name. And it's just, it was just unbelievable atmosphere. And I think... There, there, there is something in that kind of just in the way they did that intro that it's been quite influential to me as well. To Fido, we often have a lot of intros here for our kids. It just sets a really good atmosphere for the show, and I, I think it's a really amazing song as well. I mean, there's a lot it's of an inc- it's an incredible record. It is incredible. You could have written some amazing songs. Okay, I know some people don't, you know, aren't fans, but. It's easy to hate on you too, Grant. I think yeah, it's too you know easy, what? you know. You, you know, and, and people, it's the same with Coldplay, but, you know, people take swipes. And they write great records. Yeah. It's as simple I, as that. And Josh well, Retrieve... I picked this one because I thought I'd find their flag a little bit because I think they've had a hard time the last few years. And I think they are, you know, they are an incredible band. And we've been on tour with them as well. We did a tour, so that's another reason why I put this. We did four or five huge like, football stadiums all over the place with them. And they were amazing live. There's not many bands that can hold a huge audience like that and have a catalogue of songs like they have. And, you know, where the streets have no name, just, just, you know, the, just the way it starts, you know, with the organ and then you've got the edge doing his sort of, you know, his trademark, like guitar sound, or his crazy. That's like, the bass drum. It's waiting for that bass and then, drum. And then when that comes. The, you know, yeah. the old, <laughs> you know, it's the old dance beat. It's just, it's just a great intro. And I think that people have tried to sort of, I mean, I think that just, just that track and, and that style is, 
definitely been copied by a lot of people since. You know, I think they're a very influential band. So I want to ask you, Grant, when, when yeah. you write songs, um, you, you know, you touched on in, intros then in, in your work. Yeah. Have you changed? Because I'm always interested, and I always ask musicians this question, um, if they've changed how they approach writing an intro to a song from when you first started out in feeder to where you are now, like the way that people listen to music has changed greatly. Do you still yeah. consider radio when you're when you're putting music together? Do you, do you know what I'm trying to get at with this question? Yeah, I mean, I'm a real song guy. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty old-fashioned. I'm not, I'm not very technical. I mean, I used to engineer in the studio back in the day, tape machines, and I was, I was actually pretty good at that. I'm, I'm pretty bad on computers. I'm a little bit lazy. I tend to be a bit more of an old-school like style kind of writer and producer where I'm more about the sounds and the, and the song arrangements and stuff like that and all the melodies. But for me, I still I still actually write very similar to what I did even when even when I first started off in the early days of Fida. Just sort of just me sat, you know, just sort of playing guitar, you know, I'm using an acoustic guitar. That's why I write probably ninety, I'd say ninety-eight percent of the songs on. And I think that's a really good way to start out um, a song because if it works in a simplistic way like that, it's often a good sign. But obviously, you know, there's some tracks that are more riff-driven that, you know, you wouldn't really write on acoustic guitar necessarily. But that has always been the way, that's always been my kind of formula. And then the kind of, all the grandiose and all the kind of intros and all the, you know, all those layers, that sort of comes afterwards. That's all kind of floating around my head, you know, as I'm writing it, just sort of sat there in the kitchen, just... You know, you know, with with a bottle of wine, just playing my acoustic. <laughs> I'm annoying the kids, but uh, yeah, I still write in the same way. It's always been about melodies for me. I, you know, I'm very much into structured songs. You know, you know, I love choruses. And I like, you know, verse, bridge, chorus, and kind of middle eights. I'm just, I'm from that school. You know, yeah. Um, you know, the sort of Tom Petty of the sort of Tom Petty school, as I call it. <laughs> That's a good place to go, though. Um, Grant, for track two, the first yeah. song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. Do you know, this is a tough question because I was trying to think, but, I mean, it's probably uh, something emotional, you know, a song made me think about the lyrics because, you know, when you're a kid, you don't often think about the words. But I think sure. I do remember hearing like, Imagine by John Lennon, which is an absolute classic. And it's quite a sad song, but there's something very uplifting about it. And I do remember being kind of listening to the words for the first time as a kid to that song, you know, simplistic as they are. I mean, it's a really beautiful song, really simple like piano part. Um, but I remember that that song, had, you know, definitely had an impact on me. Obviously, I was a Beatles fan as well, but I don't want to heard imagine. I, I can't remember how old I would have been. It came out, what, early 70s, didn't it, or something? Mm -hmm. I was born in 67, but um, that one definitely had an impact on me. What would that emotion have been? I don't know. I think I'm not sure if it was a combination of just like the melody and maybe the video. But I kind of remember the video with him in yoga, you know, with white piano or wearing white. It's very sort of heavenly. I mean, it was a bit, I suppose it was a bit sort of over the top, but it was just one that really touched me. I mean, it is a classic song. Yeah. Um, there's just something in the chord change and just kind of just like the melodies and the lyrics. It just makes you think a little bit about life. And I think for that to have an impact on you, you know, when you're quite young, I think it's. It's quite, a, you know, it's quite a powerful thing. So yeah. that's why I picked that one. So where where would where would you have been then? Where where was you born? Oh, well, I'm in South Wales. Yeah, I was right. born in Newport. Um, you know, just over the border, and um, I grew up just outside Chepstow, which is literally just on the other side of the Seven Bridge, sort of in between Newport and Chepstow. So yeah, I'm from a very small town, quite sort of 
you know, lots of lots of farmers and you know, not much to do really apart from kind of, you know, um do music, you know, which is what, you know, that that's kind of what you know, um, you know, um got me into being in a band and dreaming of being a rock star one day. Was there music on at home? Was you exposed to music growing up? Yeah, sort of kind of older brother. My parents, you know, were really into music, but um, not not huge. You know, they weren't kind of finding all the cool bands or anything like that. My mum was more from a kind of, uh, she, she used to sing, so she, did, she used to do lots of musicals and stuff like that. You know, things like Sound of Music and yeah. all those kind of classics, you know. Um, so she was very musical. And then my older brother really was the one that, I started to sort of notice, you know, him playing stuff. And then I thought, oh, you know, this sounds cool. And then just kind of meeting friends from school and just sort of friends who lived in the town. Who There was lots of kids into rock and punk rock, you know, when I grew up. So that was quite influential. But then my brother was into sort of like classic stuff like Fleetwood Mac, you know, Pink Floyd, you know, Beatles, um, you know, some rock stuff as well, like, you know, Led Zeppelin and things like that. So that's why I discovered sort of, you know, loud guitars really, and I got into Black Sabbath. And, I mean, I was really into punk rock, and I was a big Sex Pistols fan as well. So, and I discovered them actually quite young. You know, I think I was into the Pistols when I was about 10. Really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we used to have some, there, there was a really cool kind of little indie record shop in uh, Monmouth, uh, which is about 15 miles from Chepstow. And he used to have like really cool stuff in there. And I, I learned quite a lot actually just from going in there and buying singles and just hanging out in this kind of little tiny record shop. But um, yeah, it was a combination of that, mates, you know, older brother. My dad used to play, you know, stuff in his, he used to have an old Rover and he used to, he used to have those old cassettes, you know, those really big cassette things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. But he used to play stuff like uh, Beach Boys or, or um, things like Stylistics. <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that. It was, so yeah, I mean, I've had a pretty, I've had a pretty interesting musical background. I've been exposed to lots of different types of music. And I think probably growing up in a small town, not being in the cool London scene, probably, you know, I probably grew up with a lot of stuff that I probably wouldn't have heard necessarily if I'd been living in London. Um, I also had a friend that came over who was American and he, and he basically ended up in Chepstow somehow of all places. And we ended up being bands together and, you know, listening to music all the time. And he introduced me yeah, to a lot of kind of American rock. <laughs> classic 80s stuff and you know late 70s stuff like boston and all that kind of yeah. stuff so sorry i'm just going on now but yeah i've had a real well, well, you're talking about your people that you met then so that, that's good because that leads us on to the next question anyway grant which is um the song that reminds you of your time at school yeah well i think i've just named a few really i think if there's one song that i that kind of brings back a little bit of a well does it have to be one? <laughs> I said shuffle. You can uh, have some honourable mentions, mate. Of course you yeah, can. well, look, I, I was in a school band from about the age of 10. I mean, it started, it, was, it started off as a two-piece band, and then I started to actually learn how to play guitar a bit better. And, and then I had a school band called Sweet Leaf, which was obviously a Black Sabbath song. Uh, we were three-piece, and we were playing anything from Black Sabbath to Space Oddity, from David Bowie. We played some early police stuff like, you know, Roxanne, that kind of stuff. And then um, uh, kind of anything, really, that we could play, you know, maybe a bit of ACDC, a bit of Led Zeppelin. But always a kind of gig favourite at the school kind of concerts that we used to do at the end of term was uh, Paranoid by Black Sabbath. So that's one that really does remind me of that time, (laughs) just playing Paranoid to a load of crazy kids. What did did you want to be? Did you want to be a rock star when you was at school? 
Yeah, I did. I wanted to play guitar, but I never planned on being a singer. I mean, singing came came later. Just that really came from just me kind of songwriting and just kind of singing along as I was trying to write songs. I never had the confidence yet to ever be a frontman singer, so I just wanted to play guitar and you know, crank the old fuzz box up. But it was um, I, I I I kind of decided I was going to be in a band. I think from about ten or eleven to to the uh, you know, frustration of my teachers. And I think my parents were a bit worried about it. Even though my mum was musical, I think they were thinking, well, you know, we'll get a career first. But I was very determined. I was always um, kind of really into art and kind of, kind of music stuff. And I don't know, I just kind of had this feeling that I would do this one day. Um, I was always drawing pictures on the back of my school books of like guitars, like, you know, flying V's and Gibson Les Pauls and, Fender Strats and stuff like that, you know, and getting told off, you know, by my maths teacher for doing it. So, yeah, so I think I had that, I, I had that dream and desire from, from about, I'd say probably from about nine or ten years of age. Was, <laughs> was music encouraged at school? Yeah, I wasn't really that, well, I used to play trumpet at school, which I found really boring. And I remember, because I'm self-taught, I mean, I learned, I used to read music on trumpet, but I hadn't, you know, I, I don't score anything like that, and I'm terrible, I'm, I'm, I'm a total ear player, so I taught myself how to play guitar. You know, I never had a lesson. Um, I learned just by, you know, sat in my bedroom trying to play along to records, and that was the way that, you know, that I learned how to play guitar. And also watching a few of the other school bands who were in the sixth form and being kind of totally mesmerised by them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, music was... I think back in those days, you know, music wasn't as fun as it is now. I think, you know, things have really come on a bit more. You know, we didn't have electric guitars in our music room. It was like, a, you know, a triangle and a tambourine. And a, it was all a bit, <laughs> it was all a bit boring. So I probably wasn't like, you know, I said it wasn't a grade A student at music or anything like that. You know, I was, I, I basically kind of taught myself and found my own way. Not that I wouldn't encourage people now to do that at schools because obviously, you know, it's a whole different world now. But um, in some way, that made me kind of find my style, I suppose. You know, I think it's good to have lessons, don't get me wrong. But I think that, you know, but it also comes a time where if you can find a style of playing, you don't even have to be the best, just find something. It might be a crazy pedal we use or whatever it is, a crazy tuning or a, a certain way you sing. Sometimes that's actually more important, you know. Was you a, was you a confident kid? Not really, no. <laughs> um I wasn't, you know, I wasn't like sort of, you know, I used to have mates that were either like the really cool kids or like the real geeky kids. And, I, and so I was sort of somewhere in the middle because I, I found... It's the best place to be, always being in between. Yeah, but I place. found the geeky kids, you know, were really funny and more interesting, do you know what I mean? And it was like, I just had a, I just had a similar sense of humour to them. But um, so I suppose I was, I was one of those really as well. But yeah, I mean, I wasn't... I wasn't um, you know, I wasn't bullied. I was, I was fine. I could stand my ground. I was okay at sport. You know, I wasn't brilliant. I, you know, academically, I wasn't, you know, wasn't great. I was good at certain things. I didn't have to work too hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, don't know. I wouldn't say I was confident. I was, I was probably somewhere in the middle. I, I guess. What about? I certainly wasn't a natural you know, show off on stage and, not, you know, if I was asked to do a part in a play, I'd run a mile, you know, I'd find that terrifying. Whereas now I have to walk on stage all the time. Did you Did you never like attention then? I think everyone likes attention. I think it was more just the fear of, you know, being on stage, making a fool of yourself, you know. 
Yeah. I still worry about that every day. <laughs> uh, it's um, I think you know, I think with music and I think with songs, you know, I think you can they're your little babies, and you have it's almost like a shield in some way. Um, but yeah, and I think especially if you're doing somebody else's song, that's even more comfortable. I think you know, when yeah. you're doing a cover version, there's like I don't know, there's a screen of like confidence that sort of comes up, you know. Yeah. So yeah. that would have been that that fear would have been when you was up there yeah. at fourteen playing paranoid in the school band. Yeah. I think I was very <laughs> determined. I think I, I think I was very determined as a kid. I don't know if confidence is the right word, but you know, when I decided I really wanted to do something, I would I would always follow it through. And you know, I think music is something I definitely pursued, and uh, you know, and that's why I'm here today. I guess. I think you've 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 got to have a strong sense of drive. You've got to be driven to to I think to to achieve success yeah. in the music industry and and to sustain it as you have as well. You, you know, there's got to be, you know, drive there. and Yeah. I mean, I'm very driven. I mean, I always have been. I think that's been probably, a, you know, probably drives some people mad. That's probably been a secret of my longevity in some way. And I've always been, you know, I've, I've always been like quite creative and I'm always kind of writing and doing stuff and trying to do. I mean, the thing is, you know, it's very difficult to tick every box and keep everybody happy in this business because you can get slated with being oh, it's the same old thing, but then you can get slated by doing something which isn't you, blatantly isn't what you do, and kind of losing your, kind of, you know, losing your way musically a little bit. And I think a lot of artists do fall by that in some way. It's hard because I think what you've got to do at the end of the day is just play to your strengths. It's good to experiment, and it's good to listen to other bands and get influenced, but at the end of the day, you just got to do what feels right to you because I think people can see through it when it's not. And I've seen a lot of bands, I can see, you know, they've made a record and worked with a certain producer and it might be great, but you can see it's not really, it's not really their soul as a band. And I think I'd rather be, and I might sound odd, I'd rather be less successful doing music than I like doing than be successful doing music that feels uncomfortable and feels a bit forced. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and I think listeners, they'll, they'll, they'll sniff it out. They'll, they'll, yeah. You know, you, you can't you can't kid them. You, you, you yeah. can't fake it. I don't think. No, last sort of thirty years of a band. I think if you do that, I think it's good to experiment. There's always been a few albums that don't connect and aren't always your best, but that's just part of the job. That's just part of the, you know, that's part of the dream and that's part of the business. But that's fine. You know, not everything is going to be amazing. That's all part of the journey. You know, completely. Track four. What was the first song you bought from a record shop? This is a tough one. Now, I've been asked this before, and I may have said two different things. So <laughs> I remember you can, you can I say it, two, mate. I think the first album I bought was Abba Arrival. <laughs> Abba, you know, absolutely classic pop song, timeless songs. I mean, these, those songs are just even sound great nowadays. I mean, there's been nobody else that quite like Abba. Uh, I've got a lot of time for that, you know, for them. Um, it's really weird how their music transcends, like... Um, I've got two daughters that are sort yeah. of, um, in their in their sort of early teens, and I was driving along the other day of Absolute On or something like that, and SOS come on, oh, and, okay. they, and they were both singing it, and and I, I maybe would have got it if it was Dancing Queen or maybe Mamma Mia, but I was just like, how do you know this? They're like, I don't know, it's just Abba, isn't it? And I was just thinking, just brilliant how these these I've said it before on this podcast how some songs find their way. The first time it happened, I've mentioned this before, was Aztec Cameras, Somewhere in My Heart. And both my kids were singing it. And I was just like, how do you know this record? Like, that came out when I was their age. And I just think them perfect pop songs 
just find their way somehow. But, you know, I mean, classic songs, you know, of all genres, I mean, you know, that's what makes them classic and timeless. And that's always my dream as a writer to try and, you know, have a few of those, you know, before I call it a day. And those are the songs that, you know, like what you just said, they're, they're the songs that our kids, you know, will keep singing and, you know, will, you know, discover. Because they're good tunes and there's something in those songs, whether it's the melodies or something that people like connect with. And that's, you know, that's the, uh, that's gold. And that's, you know, what makes those records so timeless um but i think so sorry yeah, going back to your question that was the first album i bought if i remember but i think the first single i bought they used to have this bargain box in in the walls in chepstow when, when it was still there and uh i just go in there and go through it because you know you used to find some quite good singles in there and um i think the first ever actual record i remember buying was a single and i think i think it was beatles which is not a bad one actually and i think and all i remember is it is it had elmer rigby on one side and it might have been, I don't know if it was like a like a one-off single or whatever it was. I think it might have had Get Back or something on the other side. But I remember hearing like Eleanor Rigby, which was which I think was the B-side. I was totally blown away with it. I actually preferred that to Get Back. I thought Eleanor Rigby was amazing. I loved all the strings on it and stuff like that. I just thought, God, what an amazing song. That's the emotional that, impact. That was that one. I, bought. I can't remember how old I was. Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry. It won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Fire. And search off the beat and track podcast, and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. That was, um, that was bizarrely my only memory of studying music at school was. We had to sit down and dissect Eleanor Rigby 
Did you? And uh, yeah, and 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 I'd, I'd never heard that song. Um, you know, I'd heard all the kind of sixties, um, you know, the early sixties sort of rock and roll Beatles stuff, but I'd never really sort of heard any of the other stuff at that point. And and hearing Eleanor Rigby, I mean, that's a sombre record, isn't it? And, it yeah, uh, it's, but just the strings and the, I think it's the quartet and stuff on that. It's absolutely amazing. Do you know, I've tried to write that song, but not that song, but that kind of something like that so many times, you know, and I've kind of been working with strings in my head and stuff like that. And I've, I've touched on that formula, but it's just an amazing track. And, you know, again, that's been very influential. I mean, even listening to bands, you know, of our genre, like people like Smashing Pumpkins and stuff like that, he used a lot of string arrangements. It all comes from that, you know, that era, really, you know. And a lot of those 70s bands, you know, they did it really well. But, yeah, that, that is such a fantastic song. Actually, my kids... Um, I'm not sure they were doing it at school as well for music, but they, I think I think they were actually. They really like that song as well because it's a great song. Yeah, incredible. They uh, they'll, they'll go far to beat was mate. I'm telling you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> track five, the song that soundtracked your years clubbing. Right. So I should I should say Grant because yeah. anyone that's in a band he's probably going to say what you're about to say right. Right. It can be going to like your local rock club or your, your indie nightclub. Okay. Uh, it hasn't got to be neon and chrome dancing with your shirt okay. off with your hands in the air. Unless well, I go back, well, I went back to when we, well, I remember like clubbing because obviously it didn't have any, you know, there wasn't really any clubbing back in, back in South Wales. Well, certainly not in Shepstow anyway, not that I can remember that we were any good. Um, but when I moved to London, which was sort of late 80s, um, I worked in a recording studio. I got a job as a tape-off and then worked my way up to engineering. And it was really around that whole time, you know, that kind of, you know, the late 80s, early 90s was huge for clubbing, wasn't it? But then you can, but there was quite a lot of different stuff because you could say, because I remember like Stone Roses being quite a big club band and people like that and also the Happy Mondays. So I was going to pick one of them, but I've I've actually gone for, um, I've gone for Killer by Damsky and Seal. You know the song Killer? I've had Adamski on this podcast. Um, well, I worked with him in the studio. I was, I was actually the tape pot. And I remember, because I knew Seal before he was Seal, uh, Samuel Henry. And uh, he used to come and hang out in the studio because he was friendly with my boss. Just used to come out on, the, on, the, on his bike and he used to always want to be like a singer. You know, he's a really charismatic guy. He had this really cool hair and he used to come and I used to show him how to play a few chords on guitar sometimes. And he, he, he had something about him, you know, obviously apart from an amazing voice. He just looked like a rock star or a pop star, whatever. And um, he went to a club one night, and I think that's when he met like a dance And I think he did like a live vocal to, and it was, and I think it was to one of the backing tracks saying that a dance had done, and that ended up being killer, I think. And I remember them coming into the studio and hearing this track the first time. I was thinking, this track's going to be massive. Yeah. And that's it's just a time that I remember, and I remember going. I was. I did go to quite a lot of clubs at that time, just through work and stuff like that. Um, it wasn't necessarily my kind of music, but I kind of really got into it after a while because I was really into rock, so it was quite educational for me. But that's why I picked that one because it's you know quite a nice story. And uh, obviously, Steel went on to be a massive, massive you know global star. Um, and my boss, who used to manage him, I think made a load of money out of it. And I, I actually remember, if you've got time, sorry, I'm not trying to bore you with this, but I'm I remember loving this. But I remember, and this is a true story, um, 
that that track was originally recorded onto a live. It was like Seal singing onto a basically onto a DAT like a live vocal because he was a really good singer and he was like I think he was kind of jamming it a bit. You know, obviously making up some of the lyrics as he went along, probably. Um, and there was no actual kind of multi-track of it because it was all tape machines in those days. So I remember there was a remix guy. I think he was called Ben Chapman, and he was quite hot at the time. And they wanted to remix his track, but there was no tape to remix it. So I remember having to record from Adamski's little keyboard workstation, which is what he wrote it on. Yeah. And, um, you know, with Seal's vocal, putting that onto tape. I think I was the first guy to do that. It's just a little tape off, and they probably didn't have to pay much money. Can you just go put that on tape for them? That's my, that was my claim to fame at the time. You know, that was killer. Wow. Because, you know, it's number one, didn't it? It was yeah. a big track. Yeah, it's a huge so, track. Yeah, and, and I can I, tell you well, what, that, 30 years ago that was. Yeah, well, I remember um, Dad used to come. He's a really nice guy. He used to have this little white dog. He used to like a little goat. That's right. It's on, it's on the sleeve. Dog. Yeah. And this picture of the dog on the sleeve. Yeah, he was a really nice kid. He was, he was so young and he was just, you know, he, he was quite sort of quite a character. And, um, yeah, that song just blew up and it was massive. And then after that, obviously, Seal got signed and worked with people like Trevor Horn and stuff like that. I mean, it just became massive. But, yeah, but, I mean, it's a good track. You know, that's a pretty um, – brings back a lot of memories when I heard that one. Oh, it's a great record. And and it's, it's – I was chatting to um, Adam at the beginning of this year on, on this podcast, and he was saying that it's 30 years ago that, that Killer come out, and he's re-recorded it. Uh, he's re-recorded several versions of it, and he's got Boy George to vocal it. Oh, and, God. Uh, yeah. And, it yeah, it sounds pretty cool. Yeah, well, I've got I, – I do have um, – yeah, I think I've got a few – on some old, some old like a set of it somewhere in a box in the loft. I have to dig it out sometimes because it was all you know, it was the days of like a set tapes and then. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's uh, quite amazing how that all started out. But um, yeah, I was lucky because I worked, you know, with quite a lot of bands and artists, you know, from that, you know, from that era. You know, some guitar bands and some more dance based, and yeah, it was quite educational. So, so moving forward a couple of years when. Um... Feeder uh, are, are in the early stages, and, and, yeah. and you're in London and stuff. Like, you know, would you ever go into the kind of sort of guitar clubs? Would you having nights out in, in in them sort of places? Yeah, I used to go to places like this. Remember, like the Wag Club. Yeah, Water Street. Yeah, and I used to go down just for a late night drinking place. Did you remember the uh, Samaritz in the basement? Yeah, it was a real dive, but it was a place to go for a late drink. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I remember like you know, like the Marquee when it was there. And it moved in it to, um, and then and there was the Marquee Cafe. We used to hang out there quite That's a bit. That's right. In fact, we used to play there quite a bit on that tiny stage. I've but it was really. My... Yeah, go on, go on, sorry. That's... Now, I've still got my, my backstage pass where my band played the marquee. I remember it was the only time I think that my parents were like, you playing the marquee? And I didn't want, I didn't have the, I just didn't have the heart to go, it's not the proper marquee, it's the new one. But, but yeah. I'm, I did actually I'm, play the marquee once in very early feeder days here before Taka joined. Uh, we were three-piece, sort of noisy. You know, we had that kind of formula. I think we had a song called Rush, which was a very early feeder song, just before Taka joined. Um and yeah, we did actually play the one on on um, on Chancus Road, wasn't it? Oh no, yeah. top, was it? Top well, yeah. yeah. Um, but but otherwise, it was just sort of places like venues, really, that were clubs. You know, we, I mean, we started off, you know, Feeder really built um, our fan base from playing places like the Water Acts, you know, which is we call like Splash Club. I mean, that was like a really happening place at the time. That that was like the kind of 
uh, you know, the CBGBs of London or the kind of, you know, where the whole grunge scene was happening. I mean, that, was, you know, that was one of the key places, you know, for bands like us. Um, you know, everyone played there. I mean, I yeah. always played there, you know, Placebo. I mean, some big bands used to play there. Um, you know, so that was an important one to hang out. We used to just hang out there and try and get friendly with A&R guys and, you know, try to get a record deal. But otherwise, it was just sort of, yeah, I mean, those are the obvious ones that spring to mind. Obviously, there was Electric Ballroom as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was the other one. What was the, what was the pub? The, it was a pub. We used to play there. It was an absolute dive, but it was, it was legendary, and, and it burned down. What was it called? Not the... Not the Holy Arms. No, it was the one just off Camden Road. What was it called? Oh, the Falcon. The Falcon, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the Falcon? That was, God, tiny. We had some mad gigs in there. I used to love that venue. That was one of my favourite Camden venues to play that. It was sort of tucked around the side, wasn't it? It was really vibey. You know, you had some great yeah. nights in there. Yeah, it was really vibey. Um, I mean, that was a really exciting time. That was like, I think the 90s were, certainly for guitar bands, whether you were a bit more heavy or not, you know, like us or more on the Britpop side, it was a really exciting time. And it was really, um, you know, we were kind of, at the same time, it was like Britpop, and I suppose in the US, it was all the grunge stuff happening, as they called it. Yeah. So we were sort of in the middle. We were almost like mid-Atlantic, because we were kind of influenced by a lot of British bands, but also I, I, I always loved a lot of American bands. And yeah. so we were sort of in kind of somewhere, they used to, to call us like mid-Atlantic. Um, and that's kind of what we are, really, because that's kind of, I suppose, as a band, you know, and as a songwriter, I've been influenced by so much kind of British music and punk rock and 70s and like classic stuff but I've also been you know really heavily influenced by lots of American stuff you know 80s stuff and you know Neil Young and Tom Petty and stuff like that so I mean I think you can hear it you know feed his music and I'm not in I'm not ashamed to say that you know but that's a good place to be because that means you can go on and play you know, Kerrang are going to like you, and the yeah. enemy are going to like you. You can play well, yeah. festival and you can play download. It's a great place to be. It is a good place to be on a live front of you. I think enemy didn't really like us very much. They, I think, because we they came, didn't like anyone. Well, because we came through like Kerrang, which I'm, which I wouldn't change because they were a lot more loyal to their fans. I think enemy were, you know, they, they were seen as the cool one. But you know, you could be flavor of the month fair on the cover, and then they would totally turn on you. So it was a pretty ruthless place. We did get a couple of good reviews. There was a few journalists there that liked this, but it was it was an absolutely brutal enemy. And um, <laughs> yeah, but you know what? You know, we you know we survived it, and you know we're still here doing it. So it didn't it didn't it didn't you know it didn't really affect our career. It was frustrating at the time. <laughs> yeah, Karan was really good to us, and you know Metal Hammer and all these magazines. We didn't ever think we'd be in. We didn't think we were that kind of band but uh and they saw something in what we did i think they liked the loud guitars for track six mate yeah favorite song from an artist from your home county well it has to be a welsh band obviously because i'm you know obviously born uh but i got the manic street preachers because i do know them a little bit i think they're a great band uh they've been around a long time not that dissimilar to feeder in some way i think they've got a very loyal fan base you know they're a very song-based band um you know, pretty diverse in, in their style as well. They've got some anthemic songs. They've got some songs that are a bit more, a bit more uplifting. Um, I've gone with Motorcycle Emptiness. Oh, what a I think it's a great song. Um, you know, they, you know, they've written so many, but it's always one that I love. And I always remember the video where they, I think they filmed it in Tokyo. That's right. 
Yeah, it's, it's just a really classic song. Um, and I just think they're a great band and they're still here. You know, they're, they're kind of survivors. And uh, I don't I really feel it, you know, I feel a connection with the Mannix. Um, so I've gone with, so yeah, sorry to Tom Jones, <laughs> which is usually the obvious one. But sure. um, yeah, Mannix, you know, definitely one of my favourite Welsh bands. Excellent. I've, have you watched the recent, I, I saw it about three weeks ago, they've just put a new, um, uh, well, recent Mannix documentary on, uh, I think it's on Netflix or Prime. Uh, and I if you get a chance to watch that, it's excellent. It's real career-spanning documentary. Oh. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah, they're nice guys. I've met James, and I've, obviously I've met them all over the years. But, I um, mean, you know, I don't know them well, but he's always, always a really nice guy. He's been to a few of our shows. And, um, yeah, you know, we're sort of, you know, we text each other kind of once in a while. You know, I'm usually trying to get on do some gigs, you know, like two of us, because, you know, it's quite a nice combination feeder in the Manics because we come yeah, from definitely. the time. And, yeah, you know, I think there's a lot, of, certainly a lot of feeder fans are into the Manics and you know, there's a lot of Manics fans who probably like, to, you know, into feeder as well. So it's always a good bill, that. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I listened to um, Nicky Wire on uh, Adam Buxton's podcast a little while ago and yeah. there was just a moment in there where he said, right, I'm going to read out 10 quotes that you said in the early 90s Tell me if you said them or you didn't. Fucking hell, Grant. The stuff he was saying was so <laughs> awful. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I did say that. I, I, you know, he says, like, I look back now and think, what on earth was I saying? Like, it was just yeah. like, awful things. He was like, yeah, I said that one too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he's a character, Nicky Meyer. He's not, he, he, he's not scared to say what he feels. And I quite like that about him. He's, he's certainly, a, you know, he's certainly got a, you know, you certainly remember him. He's, he's quite an interesting guy. I like him. Definitely. Um, all right. So for the final song, um, Grant, it's your opportunity yeah. to play DJ and uh, and use this as an opportunity to turn someone onto something new. Because um, I want to know the song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. Oh, God, I misinterpreted. I totally got the question wrong on this one. Um, I thought you were sort of. I thought the question meant something that you know. I, I might be a little bit embarrassed about people might know I play. Oh, you're not the first person to say that, Grant. You're not the first person. Like, that, that's, that's come up again. So, so how can I answer this one? <laughs> you can answer that. Like, what, like a guilty pleasure? I was a guilty pleasure, but, um, yeah, it's because I'm obviously, you know, you know, some stuff I, you know, some people might think is a little bit, uh, you know, naff, you know, when it's 80s stuff or whatever, I actually think is really good. But, now I've gone for something which I was playing the other day, in the kitchen when I was doing some did some cooking and my kids were starting to get quite annoyed by it. And it's 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 a song called Yesterday Yesterday Once More, um, which is basically by the Carpenters. And I I actually really like the Carpenters. <laughs> my kids don't don't really get it at all. So I started my song now to Beautiful. annoy them when I'm cooking. <laughs> I'll tell you what when when. I think if I had to answer my own question earlier on what would be the first song that had an emotional impact on you, I think Rainy Days and Mondays by by the Carpenters. I used to hear her voice. Yeah. And because my parents would play the Carpenters music and it was like, my God, this this is so sad. Like her voice sounded so sad. Uh, yeah, I did have that in my list actually. And I did, so I didn't mention that earlier on. Uh, you know, that was something, obviously my parents used to play Carpenters. I think everybody's did, but. You know, they were, you know, they were a massive, you know, they were a big act. But, yeah, she's just an amazing voice. I mean, you know, what a life she had. Um, and, you know, they're great songs, you know, and she, she, she can really sing. 
And she used to play drums as well, you know that? Yeah. Really, I mean, yeah. she's a really talented lady. But yeah, for some reason, I don't know why, they haven't, they haven't quite connected with the Carpenters, but that's one that I often put on and they, I get this kind of dirty look as I'm, <laughs> as I'm cooking something on <laughs> trying to educate them a bit on something a bit, a bit, you know, a bit more mellow. But yeah, it, it takes you back to childhood as well, you know, you know hearing something quite soothing and comforting about the Carpenters. So I'm going to ask you this then about being a dad because yeah. it's and 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 the music that your kids listen to because you know I've, music has been my obsession for my whole you know literally from the age of like ten upwards yeah. and 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 my kids listen to commercial dance and R and B music that they hear on Kiss FM and everything that I've always gone the opposite way from and and I. And it's, it's really weird. I just think, do I try and kind of go, have a listen to this? Because I've done it with a few songs and they've, and they've, they've bit. But then there's also been moments where my wife's walked in the, the living room and she's going, are you really trying to get the kids into the Smiths? And I'm like, yes. And I've just got all these videos of the like, early Smiths performances. And like my 14-year-old just sitting there looking very, very confused. And she was like, what? why are all them men trying to grab him? I was like, it's, it, well, it's a bit like One Direction, but for grown-ups. It's a bit weird trying to un- explain the Smiths and all these people just clambering <laughs> to grab older Morrissey. I was like, but you're not allowed to be around him now. He's gone a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, actually, I'm pretty lucky. Um, so my daughter's been playing some really good stuff. I mean, you know, it's very diverse, you know, as my music kind of taste was at that age, but she's 15 now. She, she's been playing, like, loads of Nirvana recently. You know, you know, she's into a lot of, you know, hip-hop and dance and R&B as well. But she's got she's, she's got a boyfriend now, and he's really into he, He's actually into, into some really good bands. He likes The Police and Prince and, like, Nirvana and you know, stuff like that. So I'm, I'm actually quite pleased about that. So that's been quite helpful to me. <laughs> so that's amazing. Uh, it is. But, um, you know, I think it's good to listen to all types of music. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to criticize anyone's musical taste except to them, but you know, there is some, there is some awful stuff out there. I think as long as the kids keep an open mind, but it's up to us to sort of kind of annoy them and play a few old classics, whether it's the Smiths or Led Zeppelin or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, they're great songs, so the kids will pick up on them. I mean, actually, my son went through a period, he was watching, um, what's it called? Um, oh, it's a TV thing. Um, it's called Riverdale, you know, Riverdale? Yeah. It's like, it's like American, anyway. Uh, and they play a lot of 80s stuff on there. Um I think it may be other artists actually covering them, but they, but they went through a period of playing loads of Tears for Fears, and he, and, he, and he really got into Tears for Fears. And, you know, they're an amazing band. I mean, um, is it Songs from the Big Chair? That's such a classic album. Grant, I'm not joking. In, I reckon in the last 10 podcasts I've done, I've ended up talking about Tears for Fears, and it's I so weird. Fears. I mean, they were in my list. On, honestly, if I could have mentioned them earlier on, I would have, because they were, you know, they're some great songwriting. Did you watch the recent documentary on Songs from the Big Chair that's on the BBC iPlayer? No, but... Oh, my God. It's amazing. I mean, they clearly don't get on, and it's obvious. It resonates as you're watching it when they're sitting there together. But they've got, like, Ian Stanley and and, and all the original people that put Big Chair together, and track by track they go through it, and... And just when you, they get to 
head over heels and you just hear that piano and they're just yeah. showing you that. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. And and it touches on, you know, seeds of love and, and the hurting, but it's mainly all about Big Chair and it's absolutely, it reminds you that they're a band that I don't think get the credit they deserve. Like, they're they are sold. Incredible band. I mean, they're, you know, I think they were definitely, I mean, just the songwriting, just the, the production on that record is really good. It just sounds, I mean, it just sounds great now. I mean, yeah. you know, it's just uh, anyone who disses that record uh, was just idiots. It's, it's such a fantastic album and, you know, some really, really timeless songs again. And, uh, you know, they'll be around, you'll be hearing those tears for song for many years to come because, because, you know, they're great songs. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of the '80s stuff actually is, it gets a you know gets a really hard time, but there were some great there were some great records made in the '80s. Um, you know, and I think uh, you know, I think it was a time of really really good songwriting. I mean, it got a little bit crazy on the production side. It all got a very flamboyant, and everything had to be you know super over over like, produced. But 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 they do sound good, and I think that that was just the time it. That, that was what was happening at that time, you know, you know, with the change in technology and stuff like that. But the songwriting was really strong, I think. Anyway, I think so. And the only thing that makes it, you know, some some songs still, you know, sound out of date is just the fact that production, you know, electronic production has has, has advanced so much that you know. But then something that come out. In 1990, there was an electronic dance song. Probably sounds very dated to, to you know, what's that? Yeah. There. It's just a song yeah. of the times, isn't actually, it? I think, I think that's quite an interesting point because I actually think the stuff from the kind of, even some of the very, very early kind of electronic stuff, I mean, I'm, a, I'm kind of really into Gary Newman as well, and that kind of period where he was sort of crossing over from, you know, from, from like fuzzy guitars and then found the keyboard thing and sort of, you know, found his sound. Um but I, I actually think a lot of the stuff from you know from that era sounds actually quite cool now because I think I think it's actually really influential now. You know, if you listen to lots of bands like whether it's Killers or whoever, you know, um, I think it, it all comes from bands like that. You know, where it's like Human League, that stuff is still. I think it sounds actually pretty hip now. I think a lot of kind of very trendy bands are kind of using a lot of those sounds now. Yeah. Uh, I think um, it's more the stuff like you said in the kind of. So some of the stuff in the 90s it sounds more dated to me yeah well, I think like you know you, you look at the killers and you you can you know you go back to some of that electronic music like the Human League and even moving forward a few years for me with the killers I can hear the Pet Shop Boys in it I can hear Erasure and oh you know, massively and like and, and I can also hear like you know things like the Smiths and the Cure in there as well yeah and I think as they've gone on as a band and as they've kind of got bigger and had to play, you know, huge arenas and stadiums. I think, you know, obviously Brandon Flowers is a really good, you know, he's really come out of the shadows and he's a front man. Um, mm. He's just sort of oozes confidence now. But they've almost become all those bands you've mentioned, which I'm sure they would mention in interviews has been influential. Um, but they've also got this kind of Bruce Springsteen kind of rock side to them as well. Definitely. Which has helped them transform, you know, what they are as a band. You know, you know, to fill big arenas, and I think I, I actually really love that sound as well. I mean, I think um, even the, there's even elements of like meatloaf in there and stuff like yeah. that. It's all like very dramatic and you know theatrical. And I think um, you know the album that had um, when we were—is it called when we were when we young? were young? Is it Sam's Town the album? Yeah, like the, that's one that's of my favourite. That's so Springsteen, isn't it? It's very. I love that. But yeah, it's 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 Springsteen. It's got. It's also got bits of almost like Smashing Pumpkins in there because it was done by Alan Mulder and I think um, Flood, who did a lot of the pumpkin stuff, mm. or certainly did one of the Pumpkins albums or two of them. And 
you know, can hear too, just the way the guitars and the string arrangements work on that track. It's actually, I think it's a fantastic song. I love that track. I mean, I, I, I think it's one of their best. Yeah. Okay. So um, when this lockdown um, starts to ease and, yeah. and normality resumes and recording studios and live venues and, and, and festivals uh, all start to happen again, um, what's happening? Uh, well, our tours we moved because we had we did like a second leg to our um, say our last album was called Tallulah, and uh, we had like a second leg that was booked in that obviously got cancelled. That's been moved to October. Whether it happens or not, I'm I've, I'm really not sure. But um, so that's the, that that was the plan. Obviously, all the festivals that we had in place, most of them have been cancelled now. There's there's a few that are still hanging on, but I don't know if they're going to happen. Um, but really, to answer your question, I'm not quite sure. I'm going to carry on doing a bit more recording, do a bit more writing, and just hope that we can salvage a few gigs, you know, you know, for a bit later in the year. If not, touch wood, you know, next year's going to be a busy year for everyone. I think everyone's Definitely. so desperate to see, you know, live music again. It could be a really good time. Definitely. <laughs> and so where's the best place for people to stay in touch with what's happening in the world of uh, Grant and Feeder? Yeah, well, I've got my, well, basically, I've got, like, my music one is my uh, Grant Nicholas Instagram and Facebook, which is kind of feeder anyway. Um, there's obviously feeder Facebook. I know Facebook's a bit of an old format now, but, you know, but I'm on there all the time. And obviously Instagram. Um, I don't really use, like, Twitter very, very much nowadays. I've, I actually prefer Instagram. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you can you obviously keep in touch there. Um, I'm often posting my little videos. I've got, like, a little home studio, and I just do stuff in a very raw lo-fi vibe just into my iPhone. That feels like the, the best way to do it um, at the moment in the situation we're in, keep it raw, keep it real. So I'm doing a few acoustic things here and there, hopefully not too many. I don't want to start annoying people. But, yeah, um, yeah, obviously Facebook, Instagram, and obviously we'll obviously let you know of any, any future gigs or any new tracks that might come out. Wonderful. Well, if it's all right with you, I'll I'll um I'll tag you in everything when we put this episode out, and then people can uh, uh, go and find out more about what um you're up to then. Yeah, also, yeah, that'd be great. It's very hard to say anymore because I don't think any of us know what's going on. Really, from what no, that's true. That's true. You, you know, we're just waiting for that call saying, "Oh, something's happening." <laughs> <laughs> Grant, thank you so much for giving us time Stuart. today, mate. Oh, I really okay, enjoyed mate. it. Oh, mate, it's perfect. Thank you very much. There you have it. What a lovely chat that was. What a lovely guy. Um, the people I know that, that have met Grant or worked with Grant had all sort of said what a, a top fella he was, and they were bang on the money. It was a smashing chat. Um, as I said at the beginning, if you enjoyed that, go and have a look in the archive because there's hundred on, hundreds, or probably about 130 episodes now with some amazing musicians, producers, actors, comedians, etc. Um and also, I've got some cracking episodes coming your way soon, so just subscribe. Um, and also, yeah, there's a Patreon, there's merch, there's everything, and there's just one place you need to go to for all of that. Offthebeatentrackpodcast.com. I'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? they're our official sponsor yeah that's right go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale you're going to love it so they've decided they want to be our sponsor which is amazing and 
what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. And in addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track Podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.